So if there is one issue that I get beaten up over more than any other, it is my uh, approach to big tech and my feeling that big tech needs to be stopped from censoring our ideas and from threatening our free speech. And the libertarians especially uh, climb down my throat whenever I say anything about this because they are supposedly independent uh, actors, not government actors. And for some reason, independent actors are allowed to take away the rights with which our creator endowed us. Uh, Blake Masters, who is currently running for Senate in Arizona, wrote a terrific piece about this in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, he is, Blake Masters is the uh, president of the Teal Foundation to promote science and innovation. He is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, the co-author with Peter Teal of Zero to One Notes on Startups or How to Build the Future. Uh, Blake, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be here with you. So I just want to read a little bit of your uh, op-ed in the journal uh, it's called Reclaiming Our Independence from Big Tech. And the subhead was companies that censor political speech, harm competition, and ruin our brains need regulation. Uh, the first paragraph is Google can swing an election. Facebook knows more about you than your spouse does. Amazon's Alexa can record your living room conversations. Yet for all the talk about the big tech threat, these companies keep getting bigger, more powerful, and more abusive. Can you describe these abuses in a little more detail? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, conservatives rightly focus on censorship, right? But uh, and it's obvious that's a problem. I don't think Facebook or Twitter should be allowed to say, you know, kick off a sitting United States president uh, while he's in office. You know, and they do that uh, obviously because they don't like Donald Trump's politics. Meanwhile, you've got Taliban commanders, you know, with verified accounts on Twitter. So the censorship, the political censorship, is a real problem. I think we should treat these companies more like uh, the phone company, common carriers, right? Can't discriminate against users based on the content of their speech. Um, but I also just think censorship is is one of the kind of harms from big tech. I also worry a lot about uh, just their sheer bigness and their ability to squash competitors. Uh, you know, Google buys one company every week, and they've been doing that for about a dozen years, not because they care about that new technology that they're acquiring, but they just care that that technology can't get so big that it competes with Google someday. So they buy these companies to squash them. I think that's bad for the market. I think that's bad for competition. And then I also worry about something like addictiveness, right? These products are intentionally engineered to addict people to them, especially children. Just a study last week came out that showed how bad Instagram is for the mental health of teenagers, particularly teenage women. Uh, and so I think, you know, just like cigarettes or gambling, we should recognize sort of unlimited social media use can actually be intentionally addictive. Maybe we should do something about that. So I, I want to get back to the addictive thing, because that's an argument I hadn't actually heard before, even though obviously it's true. But whenever I talk about this, and I, th I think it's urgently important. I mean, the censorship thing especially yeah. drives me crazy because of, I think free speech is essential. Um, but I, the attacks, there are several attacks. Let me give them to you in uh, order. We'll talk about them one at a time. One is, well, you have no, there's no God-given right to have a Twitter account. Uh, this is a company that you can build your own Twitter. Uh, you know, why, why should you have a right to be on Twitter? That's absurd. You know, God didn't invent you with a, create you uh, and endow you with the right to be on Twitter. And these, these guys have their free speech rights because they are not government actors. And you're essentially declaring what they have to allow on their platform. What's the answer to that? 
Well, we do that for the phone company. You know, all I'm saying is maybe at a certain point, Facebook and Twitter look more like the phone company than your local bakery or something like that. Right. And, uh, you know, you hear a lot, go build your own Google, go build your own Twitter. Well, it's like some people tried to build their own conservative social networking site with Parler. Right. And you saw AWS and you saw Amazon uh, rip Parler off. Right. They denied Parler the critical infrastructure you needed to exist. And you can't just go build your own Internet, you know, go build your own Google. Well, that's naive. You can't actually do it. It misunderstands what Google is. Google has a monopoly on search because uh, of its first mover advantage and because of its massive network effects. So you can't go build your own. And at a certain point, these companies, they get so big that they're bigger and more powerful than than many governments around the world. And I think when that happens, uh, conservatives and people who actually care about the free market can say, now these companies are so big, they're actually throwing this market out of out of whack. There is no free market here. And uh, you may, may have to regulate them differently than a local small business. You know, one of the things where I, I do believe there's a gray area here and I, it does disturb me. But, you know, when I saw, for instance, Amazon uh, knock, uh, was it Ryan Anderson? Is that the guy, the author I'm thinking of? Yeah. He had a book about transgenderism uh, when Harry right. becomes Sally. Now. Listen, I love Amazon. They bring books to my house. Anybody who brings books to my house is welcome. That, you know, it's a great, great system. All, right. all that, you know, Bezos had to do to get me to build a statue to him was not become a censorious tyrant. And yet, when he knocks right. a book off, that means not only is that book harder to get, but it means publishers will not. He's selling so, right. something like 90% of new books in America. And it sends a message. Like, Ryan Anderson is a serious person. He's a serious academic. That book is a serious book. It is not. It is not some uh, you know hate-filled invective or some screed. It's a real book, and so that sends a message to every young and enterprising thinker. Like, no, stay within the lines. If you ever want to have a commercially successful book, if you ever want to have a good career, stay within the lines. Don't try to move or change the Overton window. Um, that that really stifles speech. I mean, it just does. I think it's a huge problem. So what do you do with a guy like uh, Bezos with Amazon? How do you how do you regulate that? You can't call that. That's not the phone company. That's an actual store of some sort. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you take a look at Amazon's market sales. I bet they have a, uh, a, a pretty big monopoly on sort of online book sales. And past a certain point, I think you can say you're a platform and you have to be, you know, facially neutral with respect to your content. Like you don't get to uh, kick all conservative books off and you know, if you want to be a smaller niche liberal bookstore, you can do that. But that's not what Amazon.com is. And so I think what people need to reacquaint themselves with here is a, is a sense of scale. Like when, when Amazon becomes more dominant than any other company in the whole world, again, you can treat it differently than your local bookstore. Otherwise, you're just going to bury your head in the sand and get crushed by your political opposition. Amazon doesn't share our values. And so if we don't make sure that they play by I think, uh, commonsensical notions of fair play, They're, they'll just crush us. You won't be able to buy conservative books in five years. It, it is. It's so dated to me. You know, it seems to me that what their argument is, is the First Amendment only stops the government from censoring us. And that's true. But it stops us from censoring us because we have a God-given right to free speech. And the government is instituted among men to pres preserve those rights. So if the threat comes from a private entity, I don't see why uh, that shouldn't be Resistant. I I agree with you, and I'd also point out at a certain point these companies are so big that they are inextricably linked with the government in all sorts of ways. And so, in only a, a nominal sense, is Facebook truly a private company? 
Um, you know, I mean, the White House and Jen Psaki, they send communications bulletins to Facebook saying, that's COVID misinformation. You have to rip that piece of information off your platform. And, you know, the ellipsis is, or else, or else we'll come at you and, you know, make make life hell. And so Facebook, of course, complies. And you see this fusion of, of you know, the state and extreme concentration of corporate power. And I think that should scare all of us. Um, at a certain point, these companies are so big, they're not even private. You know, another argument that I get a lot of is that this is an attack on capitalism. And unlike Joe Biden, I actually am a a capitalist. I believe it's a wonderful system. But all systems, all human relationships are regulated. There's, you know, you and I can have a conversation, but if you start to strangle me, the police come in. There are certain limits to every human interaction. But you write in your piece, Amazon controls more than half of all online retail sales in America. Google is 92% of search. Apple's annual profit is larger than the gross domestic product of seven U.S. states. Why is that bad? I think it's bad because at a certain point, this market dominance, you know, uh, it, it keeps other competitors out. Like I said, Google buys people just to shut them down. You know, I think a healthy version of capitalism is one in America where you have 60 or 70 million capitalists, right? But not just six or seven. And so this, uh, if you just get big tech and you let these handful of multinational corporations control the flow of information in our society, again, especially at the at the direction of a of a left wing White House, I think this is really bad. I think it's just clear. Like Barry Goldwater understood this, right? He said that the enemy of freedom is unrestrained power, and conservatives are good at understanding this when it's uh, power in governmental hands, right? We don't want uh, an unlimited, arbitrarily powerful government. But Barry Goldwater also went further, and he said, "This is true, whether it's government or in." Uh, a corporate concentration of power. And we know that Facebook, we know that Google, we know that these super powerful big tech companies, we know that they're very eager to quash our individual liberties. They just are. And so the question is, are we going to get serious about that threat? Or are we just going to plug our ears and say, no, 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 it's a private company. Anything they do to us is fine. Yeah, yeah. I just think that's naive. It's it's so da- it's so dated. It's people really talking like, you know, Amazon is the corner bookstore and Facebook is right. just like, yeah. Um, Google has repeatedly argued. Google is really good at this. I mean, they have an army of people making arguments uh, yep. in defense of themselves. I'm sure this. I'm absolutely positive. Some of the people who attack me on Twitter uh, whenever I talk about this stuff are like in 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 They're the pay. They're on payroll. Yeah. Yes. Um, they their argument is, and they've actually said this in so many words that government is too slow to regulate tech which moves at the speed of light. And I, I think it's Facebook that says move quickly and break things. And, right. you know, the government simply can't understand it. And I have to, you know, to be honest with you, Blake, when I watch yep. these, some of these hearings, I look yes. at these senators and I think these guys do not know, you know, yep. how, how the Internet works. They don't they talk. They use words like algorithm. They don't know what an algorithm is. So right. is there is there some truth to this argument that a democratic government, dem- democracies move slowly because we're all arguing with each other? Is it, there some truth to the argument that a democratic government cannot intelligently regulate tech? Well, I'm somewhat sympathetic to uh, to to this line of argument, just because um, none of these companies are right. Like the government has not successfully regulated tech; they've shown themselves to be incompetent. I agree. You watch these hearings, and some of these older senators, God bless them, some of the nicest people you ever meet. It's just they can't even get their uh, a grip on Mark Zuckerberg, right? He's running circles around them. And Zuckerberg is, is smart. He's saying like, regulate me. Come on, like this content censorship, editorialization stuff, like this is tough. Tell me what the rules are, regulate me, right? So he, he invites and he calls their bluff. And 
That doesn't mean that we shouldn't do anything, though. It means we should get a new generation of leadership in Congress, younger, smarter people who actually understand uh, the way that these companies work. You know, I spent the first part of my career in Silicon Valley. I know the, the people who run these companies and the rank and file engineers and their business models. And I think I have a pretty good sense of the acute harms that these companies are perpetrating on people. So and, and it's still going to be hard. It's still going to be hard to actually come up with the right solutions. But like we're not going to have a prayer of doing it unless we recognize it's a problem and get people in office who are serious about taking it on. So it doesn't mean it's easy, but fair enough, the government has blown it so far. Like data privacy in the United States doesn't exist. We have no comprehensive uh, set of laws that governs how giant multinational corporations can can manage and use our data. And so the it's just laissez-faire. So they take our data and they use it against us every which way, and then they hide behind the complexity and no one does anything about it. I think that's just a bad... Uh, that's a bad equilibrium we've found. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wish I had a supercut of um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg apologizing for abuses, taking full responsibility for them, and then going back and doing exactly Nothing the same happens. Thing. Facebook stock price goes up after these hearings because Wall Street looks at this and they say, like, wow, God bless those senators. Like, they're never going to do anything about this. <laughs> so, so I think it's time to do something about it. So let's talk about this addictive part of it, because this is, as I say, something I never thought of before. I mean, I knew that these things were fashioned to be addictive. Right. But how how is it possible to fight against that? And first, well, and also, that, could you describe how they're created to be addicted? Yeah, I mean, I tell this anecdote when I go and, and, you know, give a stump speech on the campaign trail. I say, like, how many times have you gone to a family restaurant and, you know, you, you look at a, another table, a family who ought to be having a, a dinner table conversation and they're not because every kid is just glued down looking at an iPad. And like, that's really disgusting in some sense, but it doesn't happen by accident. It's not just bad parenting. It's not just laziness. The product there is engineered to be addictive. The software running on that iPad, it's engineered, you know, with clever loops of algorithms designed to sort of capture people's attention. They employ psychologists on staff at many of these companies to, to keep people going. They serve teenagers, teenagers advertising to keep them hooked in and interested in what they're seeing. And I, I just think that's a big problem. The first step is to talk about it and acknowledge it. Uh, it's a really big problem, I think, especially with kids. It changes the way uh, brains, you know, developing brains are wired. And so, like, we got to get out in front of this because if we're just laissez-faire about it for five or ten years, like, that's going to really make a lasting mark. It's going to be ugly. The people who build that iPad, the Apple executives and the Silicon Valley CEOs, they don't let their own kids play with those products. Is that true? Right? They give their... They, yeah, absolutely. They, no, no screen time. No, my my cohort does not let our kids do screen time. We do not do that. It's it, no. You give your kids wooden toys, you know, handcrafted in Amish country or something. <laughs> That's what kids should be playing with. They should be getting outside. They shouldn't be looking at these damn devices. Like it's really unhealthy. Uh, it doesn't mean we should ban them. Maybe that's too stark, obviously. But it does mean we should get people in office who know that this is a problem, who are willing to talk about it, and figure out what the solution should be. But I'm pretty sure it's not nothing. You know, a couple of times during this conversation, you have said that their values are not our values. Now, you're obviously speaking from experience. You're not just throwing that out there. Can you uh, expand on that? Exactly what you mean? Yeah, I mean, I think Google has a Google as an entity. Right. And it's maybe just the, the aggregation of all the individual preferences because it's a left leaning sort of uh, staff. But even Google as a corporate entity distinct from its people, it has a view on U.S. politics. It did not want Donald Trump to be elected. I'm not saying they changed their search algorithms to suppress Trump information and pump the Biden information, but I'm also not saying they didn't, right? And one problem is we don't know. Google, with its monopoly in search, 
has the power, I think, to swing a U.S. election. Um, they've got the power. I think they've got the motive. Um, it, they clearly have a view, you know, just like uh, Xi Jinping in China. They clearly have a view. They wanted Biden. I'm not saying they did anything to get it, but like when giant powerful interests clearly have a view, they wanted Trump out of office. Who's to say that Google is going to behave? Who's to say that Google is not going to try to interfere? And I think it's crazy that we let any company with that sort of market dominance um, just have a complete black box in terms of their search engine algorithms. But when you no say one has it's different, into that. it's different. To, it's different to say that their values are democratic, more leaned more toward the Democrat Party than toward the Republican Party, than to say that their values are not our values, meaning their values are not American values. Is that true? I think it's both. I think I think as the Democratic Party or I'd say the left wing activists, you know, sort of ideologically in charge of the Democratic Party, uh, as they sort of embrace this um, political philosophy of globalism. Right. To me, it looks a lot like uh, globalism and not looking out for the interests of Americans. I think those can shade into the same thing. You know, I think most Democrats are good people, but I, I, I think this ideology, the far left globalist, you know, open borders, open capital, let every, you know, there's no distinct American identity. I think that ideology is really bad. And I think that is the ide- ideology of, uh, of Silicon Valley. You know, uh, I don't know if you've read this Shoshona Zuboff book about surveillance capitalism. I, I, she's a Harvard professor. It's a doorstopper. Yeah, I, I think I think she's a she's probably a Marxist. And yet she. Uh, attacks Google as violating our privacy, stealing essentially our inf- information about us as if it belonged to them instead of to us. But at the same time, you hear laced in, in her prose is she wants them to censor more <laughs> of our That's ideas. Right. Uh, MRC right. Newsbusters, a uh, great site, um, did a study saying big tech overwhelmingly censors Republican members of Congress by a rate of 53 to one compared to congressional wow. Democrats. What motivation do Democrats have to get involved in this fight? I mean, are they, are, is this essentially going to just be another one of these things where we divide down left, right lines? Maybe. I mean, I, you know, I was a little bit optimistic with like, I, I think most, Joe, most of Joe Biden's appointees are horrible, but I was at least a little bit uh, interested in the Lena Khan uh, nomination to the, to the FTC, because I do think there are intelligent sort of left of center critiques of big tech, of corporate concentration of power, right? The old left used to really worry a lot about this. Could corporate concentrations yeah. of power squash out individual yeah, liberty? Yeah, was one of their big and things. I think there's still some of them, but they're not in charge. Um, the new left, I think, is is only too happy to facilitate the rise of corporate power as long as it's going to serve that sort of left-wing globalist agenda, the woke. You know, this is why you see every Fortune 500 company is basically woke. You know, they're basically in ideological conformity with the left-wing ruling uh, elite in our country. And that's, that's very interesting. I think it would make old leftists, you know, um, roll in their graves, the people who started the sort of labor, labor movement in the, you know, 20th century. Um, but it's just a, it's a new democratic party. It's a new hyper progressive globalist left. And I think they're only too happy to, uh, to work with Facebook to, to suppress their political competition. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Blake Masters, the president of the Thiel Foundation that promotes science and innovation, the co-author with Peter Thiel of Zero to One, and running for Senate in Arizona. You have a chance? I've got more than a chance. We're doing uh, doing great. You know, I started the race with basically zero, one percent name ID and uh, polling in the mid-teens. So, you know, I'm running against an established attorney general. He's just one of these politicians. Not the worst, but certainly not the best. And uh, I'm catching up. So I think I'll win. Great, great. Blake, it's really good talking to you. I appreciate your coming on. I hope you'll come back. 
I will. This is fun. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot.